Well, thank the Lord for that special blessing this morning. That is, yeah. That's Chatham Rabbits, as they're called, uh, Austin and Sarah McCombie. Austin's a child of this house. For those of you who have been around a while, you know that. And so just blessed by them today and uh, hope to be blessed even more at another time later uh, by them. I hope to have them back. Well, open your Bible, if you have one, to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, verses 1 through 38. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew right there in front of you. You'll find this passage on either page 787 or 828 of the pew Bible, depending on which printing of that you have. And while you're turning there, I'll just uh, make a few opening remarks. You know, the last year or so has seen a long shadow cast over spiritual leaders uh, throughout Christendom. Um, It's loomed especially large over the Roman Catholic Church, but it's touched Protestantism as well. And the news in just the past month, if you've been tuned into it, has been nauseating in some cases. You may have heard a grand jury report that was made public a couple of weeks ago revealed that since the 1940s, approximately 300 Catholic priests had molested over 1,000 children in the state of Pennsylvania alone. And some of the details of that report were just sickening, literally. At the end of July, um, a cardinal and high-ranking Vatican official resigned amidst allegations of abuse on his own part that had spanned allegedly decades. And then this past week, uh, the claim was made by an archbishop that the Pope himself knew about and covered up um, some of the abusive practices of that cardinal and have called for the resignation of the Pope. Elsewhere, uh, in uh, territory closer to home, in, in our own Protestant world, earlier this year, allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct led to the resignation of one of the most prominent and influential pastors um, in the country, I would say. I think by most accounts, people would regard him that way. And then just a few weeks ago, church leaders there acknowledged that they had failed to treat the initial allegations made against him seriously enough that they had really mishandled that or handled it a little carelessly and consequently just a few weeks ago they all resigned the two co-pastors appointed to replace him who had only been in that position about four months along with the entire elder board of one of the largest churches in america all resigned And then finally, just this week, came the tragic news of the suicide of a 30-year-old pastor of a a large church in California. He had struggled with depression and anxiety for some time, and that was known to his family and leaders of the church, but there had been significant health issues uh, that that was sort of layered on top of. And it's unclear exactly what all the specific pressure points were uh, for him. Chances are we'll never know, Um, but it had a devastating ending and my purpose in sharing all of that is really twofold number one to say this is a live issue these are these are ripped from the headlines as it were very very recent um, all of them within the last month secondly there before the grace of God go I and you too Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who 
thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And both from what's happening in the news and what we know about ourselves, those of us, especially in positions of leadership and influence in the church, have plenty of reason to take heed. And Acts 20 has a pertinent message to spiritual leaders and those who follow them. That's the title of this morning's message. And so let's look together now at Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to ask if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Potter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And becoming overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a, little, a long while until daybreak. And so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he, so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent 
of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give uh, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help keep the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you indeed for your word, that it is living and active and powerful, that it is truth and that it is life to us. And you know how we need that truth and life to be applied to our own individual hearts today. And so we ask, as always, that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Up through the first half of chapter 20, we learn that after spending three years in Ephesus, Paul made brief visits to uh, churches in Macedonia and Greece. And the, and the map on the back of your bulletin shows that. It's numbers three through six. He basically went up through Macedonia down into Greece and then backtracked over land when there was a plot um, against him right before he got ready to set sail. And so toward the conclusion of the trip, it says he spent a week in Troas, the last day of which was this occasion for an extended all-night conversation during which this young man, Eutychus, fell to his death and then was restored to life. Paul departed the next day, and basically he bounced along the coast um, until he was at Miletus, which was just beyond Ephesus there. It says that he wanted to get past Asia so he didn't get hung up there wanting to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast there. So from Miletus, he called for the Ephesian elders to come meet with him because he had an important message for them. And that's what we read in verses 17 through 38. And, and essentially, there are three parts to that message. Number one, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. You will not see me again. And that's the occasion for the tears that are shed over this departure. He says, number two, remember my dealings with you and among you. It's it, it actually over almost half of what he says here makes that point along. Remember what you know about me and about our relationship together. Um, he says things like, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. I did not shrink back from 
teaching you all that was profitable. I did not shrink back from telling you the whole counsel of God. You yourselves know this. You know that I didn't covet your silver or gold, that I worked with my own hands to provide for my own needs. You know this. He's reminding them of that. He says, remember that. The implication seems to be that when wolves come in among them to draw people away as deceivers, that one of the things they'll do is try to discredit Paul. And uh, we, should, we should just notice sort of parenthetically that this is a strategy we ought to always be aware of when somebody starts trying to discredit the church or church leadership or church history and that sort of thing and, and distance people from the body. Um, that, is, that is one of the first warning signs that you're listening to a deceiver, um, a wolf who may even lead you into a cult. But I'm going to Jerusalem, you'll not see me again. Remember my dealings with you. And then number three, be on guard against those wolves who come in, uh, who will come in among you. And particularly this third point contains a message that is just as relevant for elders and pastors today as it was then. And it has implications for the congregation. Everything I believe John Maxwell, leadership guru of sorts, says everything rises and falls on leadership. There's probably more than John Maxwell that says that. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's of interest to the congregation, the health and the welfare of leaders for more than one reason. And the real essence of the message uh, to leaders and those who follow them is found in verses 28 through 30. That's where I want to focus our attention for the few minutes we have together here this morning. Let's look there, again in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. His message then is kind of a simple one to the elders. Pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and pay careful attention to the flock. Let's consider first what it means to pay careful attention to yourselves Again, this is really addressed most, addressed most pointedly to, to elders, um, but for all those who would be elders, for all those of interest in the spiritual health of elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. And that means, number one, attending carefully to your spiritual and moral health. You know that the, our spiritual life is like a walk up the down escalator. You know, you can, you can make progress, right? You can get to the top unless you stop walking. And as soon as you stop making progress, you are moving backwards. There really isn't any standing still. Because of our own fleshly tendencies, our own waywardness, we are either, if we let up on our progress, we're either going backwards or we're going astray one way or the other. Because there are all kinds of distractions that would lead us elsewhere, temptations and enticements that would lead us elsewhere. 
so that if we let up, we are going astray in one way or another. There was a 17th century um, pastor in England named Richard Baxter who wrote a book in 1656 about this one verse, essentially, in verse 28, uh, called the Reformed Pastor. It was, it was a guide for pastors or uh, pastors in training and that sort of thing about how to give careful attention to the things that mattered most. It's still actually recommended reading um, in some circles for pastors in training, ordination candidates and that kind of thing, required reading perhaps in others. So he wrote a whole book on it. I will not read the whole book to you uh, this morning. Aren't you glad to know that? So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna draw three highlights from it um, of his observations about the importance of paying careful attention to yourselves or taking heed to yourselves, as it says in the King James. Baxter says, elders take heed to yourselves or pastors. Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. Lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. You know, people are smart enough to watch what you do and pay a whole lot more attention to what you do than to what you say very often. And again, we, we can appreciate this knowing some of the news I just read or just shared highlights of it in, in the introduction of the impact that that kind of uh, misgiving has on the body of Christ and either, even our own perceptions of those leaders. Don't unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. He says, number two, take heed to yourselves because there are so many eyes upon you and there will be so many to observe your falls. As a leader, there are so many eyes on you. Um, he quotes in that book uh, from somebody else that said, um, there, I, I won't quote it right because I didn't even write it down, but essentially um, that there's no such thing as a small sin for a great man. A great man cannot commit a small sin is kind of what he was saying in there because of this very thing. There are so many eyes on you as a leader, so many to see you fall that it is not a small sin the greater the man is. And then the third thing he said, the nearer men stand to God, I'm gonna paraphrase this a little bit because the language is you know, almost 400 years old, but <laughs> the nearer men stand to God, the greater dishonor he has by their miscarriages, okay? by their misconduct in other words. The, 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 as, a, as, a, as a spiritual leader, the nearer the person is to God as it were, the more God is dishonored by their misconduct. And the more foolish men, as he calls them, are apt to blame God for their misconduct, right? We know this is true. Probably uh, the, the news highlights I just shared with you have given unbelievers more reason not to believe just in the last few weeks, right? And so it goes, and, and so Baxter says, uh, take heed to yourselves because the nearer you stand to God, the more dishonor uh, he receives by your misconduct. So it means taking, taking, uh, attending carefully to your spiritual and moral health. Paying attention to yourselves also means tending carefully, elders, to your doctrine. 
so that you recognize wolves when they start getting wolfy? And so you don't become one of them who begins speaking twisted things. Did you notice in verse 30, it says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. It's like wolves and werewolves. Because what we've known to be good and godly men become wolves speaking twisted things and lead people astray to their own destruction. That ought to terrify us as elders, as pastors, as, again, aspiring leaders and people of influence to know that from among our own ranks could arise those who would lead people astray. And you need to attend carefully to your doctrine so that you recognize twisted things are twisted. See, if you don't know what straight is, you don't know what twisted is. And you might become a purveyor of the very things you're supposed to protect the flock from. In fact, I alluded to this at the introduction, but Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus as a sort of apostolic emissary to pastor that congregation for this very reason. And he says to them at the opening of his first letter, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. The greatest risk to that congregation was bad doctrine being taught by elders. Of course, it is in that same letter where Paul lays out qualifications for elders and deacons, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, because it was so important to get that right the way to correct course there was to put in place godly leadership. And he lays out those qualifications. And then he says in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4.12, where he tells the Ephesian elders, keep a, keep a, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. He says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The greatest risk to the flock is erroneous teaching, especially that arising out of the mouths of elders speaking twisted things. The remedy for it is sound teaching. And that's the one thing he tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Elders, pay careful attention to yourselves. Number two, Paul tells them here, pay careful attention to the flock. Pay careful attention to the flock because it says it's the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word there for overseers is uh, translated as bishops, Sometimes, uh, so that we see here the, 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 the title of elder and bishop is used interchangeably. There is one body of uh, leaders in the local congregation, presbyters, from which we get the word Presbyterian, of course. It's elder rule, but they are overseers of the flock that he's made you overseers of. First Peter 5 says it this way to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now here's what's liberating to me as a pastor about that. 
I am not called to pastor the whole internet. Okay, I don't have to worry about broadcasting messages and articles for the good of the whole internet. I don't have to worry about making a name for myself, building a brand for myself and the whole digital world. I am called to shepherd the flock of God that is among me at Myrtle Grove Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And so are the elders here. And... And to the extent that out of this ministry, you know, he gives us a reach beyond those walls. That's a wonderful thing. In fact, that's been the theme of this whole series, right? Is looking beyond, beyond the walls. But hopefully you understand the, the point. Uh, shepherd the flock of God that he's made you overseers of because that's enough of a task in its own. When you got that really down pat, maybe look elsewhere. But he says further about the flock, it is the flock of God that we care for. The word, that word there is the uh, care for, the, the verb form of the word shepherd or pastor. So we have elders, bishops, pastors. It's all, it's all different words to refer to the same office who have the responsibility for uh, caring for and overseeing the flock of God, the flock which he says Jesus obtained with his own blood. Jesus died for the church. He sh the, the church is his idea. The church is his plan. The church, the flock of God is who he shed his blood to purchase out of slavery. That's where he places his value. You know, if a, if a friend were to ask you to come over and stay at his house to take care of his award-winning show dog, you know, so you're gonna sort of house sit for the sake of being able to dog sit. You've got this prized show dog he wants you to take care of. You know, if you, if you spend your time dusting the furniture, mowing the grass, weed eating, uh, making breakfast for all the other hired help and doing all kinds of other things and don't pay attention and take care of that show dog, you have not honored the one who has given you charge over him, right? You've not been the steward over the very thing he brought you in to be a steward of. And this actually can happen pretty easily for church leaders and whether they're governed by elders or somebody else, it's easy for the shepherds to be out in the pasture as it were and start noticing the fence around the pasture and huddle up with each other and go, would you look at that fence? Who built that fence? You know, those posts are gonna, those posts are gonna rot. We're gonna have to replace the whole thing. How many, how many posts are there? And they start counting posts and adding up how much of those posts caught. You know, they should have used vinyl fencing in the first place and just be done with it. And we wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. And meanwhile, their back is to the flock. Maybe they've taken their eyes off of the flock and put them on other things. And the wolves do not cease to prowl just because you think you're talking about important things. Just because you're paying careful attention to other things besides the flock doesn't mean that the wolves have uh, taken their attention off of the flock. And we best not 
turn our backs on the flock in order to tend to other things. There aren't more important things than the people who are the flock of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to the flock. And so for those who follow, what is the relevance of this? What do we uh, do with that information for those who maybe aren't in those positions of leadership? Well, number one, pray for those who are. Pray for spiritual leaders who again, but for the grace of God, are just as vulnerable to be led astray and let lead others with them as everybody I just read about at the outset of this sermon. And there are, there are way more stories that I could have shared if we had more time, right? Those are just the ones that are, have just happened in the last few weeks. Pray for elders and pastors and others of, of positions of influence. All the things that they are urged to take care concerning, you pray that they will take care concerning those things. And then second, take seriously the qualifications for church leadership. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, the emphasis is on character and spiritual maturity, not skills, not experience, not their financial um, prowess and what they uh, might be willing to give if you put them in a position of leadership. None of that. It is character and maturity that's emphasized. Elders are charged with representing the mind of Christ, not representing the wishes of people closest to them. They are not congressmen or councilmen. They are overseers of the flock of God. And so choose people who are spiritually qualified for that role. Because the one who is seated in the conference room, so to speak, ought first to be one who kneels in the prayer room. Let's pray together. Father, we... We thank you as always for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving in leadership for those that you've called to that task. I do thank you for that personally. And yet, Lord, I do approach it with a degree of trembling, Lord, and I never want to stop trembling knowing that I am just as prone to wander I am just as enticed and tempted by things of this world, just as distracted by other interests. And I can wander off course just as much as the next person. So Lord, would you keep me and keep us by your grace? Would you prompt us daily and even hourly to pay careful attention to ourselves and to the flock of God for all the other things that would seem to deserve our attention and even our affection. Lord, would you set us straight so that we might not become twisted? And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.